Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Yeah, let's hope uh, we can rise even though the temperatures today will be rising for a good chunk of the central part of the U.S. Hey, good morning. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Mornings uh, without Carmen here on Faith Radio. Yeah, extreme heat warning basically from central Minnesota all the, almost all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it's, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a hot day today and tomorrow. Hopefully by the end of the week, things will be much better. Other parts of the nation, of course, we've been talking about situations down in Florida, uh, rather down in California with, with the hurricane and stuff hitting wildfires. Yeah, a lot to pray about on the weather front, a lot to just pray about to ask God for his grace. And let's spend a few moments with God right now in his word, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day, Proverbs 22, verse 4. We, we, we're spending a lot of time in Proverbs, which is okay. It's a good section to think about how to live wisely. And an interesting verse today, again, Proverbs 22, verse 4. If you didn't hear it a few moments ago, here it is again. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Now, I got to tell you, I have a friend who deeply struggles with the idea of fearing God. Now, this friend loves God's word, loves Jesus, trusting Jesus for her salvation. But the fear factor, this friend struggles and has struggled with fear so much in her life. Fear of people, fear of various circumstances, fear of the unknown, a lot of stuff. So how can being fearful lead to riches, honor, and long life? You know, I'd have to agree with her. That kind of fear can't. That kind of fear weakens us. It impoverishes us. It it can kill us. Now, the word in Hebrew is yirah, or something like that. A Hebrew scholar can correct me if they wish, but yirah, which can mean fear, terror, to be terrified. Is that God? what God wants from us concerning him, to be an abject fear, abject terror of him? Well, that's only one of the meanings of Yirah. Another can mean respect, a reverence. It means giving certain weight in your heart and mind to that object that you uh, revere or fear. Okay, word used interchangeably. That fear or reverence has a lot to do with the nature of the object that it's in. Let's, for example, a grizzly bear. Because, you know, it's a good idea about bears like that. You, a grizzly, you want to bring it home as a pet. It's, it's, it's wild. It can do a lot of harm. They can be pretty mean. But what about the nature of God? Well, he's awesome, number one, creator of the world. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. Oh, but and that can be fearful right there. I get that. I mean, fear, terror, fear. But there's more. Remember what he told Moses as Moses was asking to see his glory? God told Moses... You can't see my full presence and live. Right, but I'll pass by you. You can see my back, and I will declare myself to you. And when he did, what did he declare? 
the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. A faithful God, a God who is for us. By knowing that truth, terror gives way to reverence. All right. I I love Chronicles of Narnia. And if you remember the first book uh, that was written, not in the story's chronological order, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Pavenzi kids came into Narnia, and they're with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And the kids hear about Aslan, the lion, for the first time. Susan asks, who is Aslan? Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not here often, you understand, never in my time or my father's. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this point. And he'll put things to rights. As it says in the old rhyme in these parts, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. When he shakes his mane, he shall, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan? <laughs> Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm leading you to where you should meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of beasts is? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'd rather feel, I'd feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is the great king. He is good. He wants our good. As our creator, he knows what's good for us. He makes things right. So in humility, trusting in his ways, not ours, and reverence, following the Lord, doing so we find true riches, honor, and life. Indeed, truly revering him dispels those other terrifying fears. Here's here's Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, whatever that them is right now in your heart. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Quickly looking at the news, um, I saw this at uh, evangelicalfocus.com. Costa Rican Evangelical Alliance Federation is strongly rejecting a request from the United Nations to decriminalize abortion in Costa Rica. Now, the entity that's, which seeks to represent 25% of the country's population who identify as evangelical Christian considers these globalist tendencies of the UN and other international organizations as an, with their aim to put an end to the sovereignty of a nation as well as go against the life of the most defenseless. They're trying to stand up for life, which we appreciate. You know, as we get closer to another presidential election on the social front, there's a lot up in the air. I mean, okay, about a year ago, the Supreme Court did overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and the constitutional right to abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, returning regulation of the procedure back to states. And that has been a battlefront right now. And in some ways, it feels like the uh, pro-life side may be losing. But are we in a good place? Are we in the right place? 
We're going to talk about that with Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University as Mornings with Carmen continues here on Faith Radio. All right, does Christianity, do we have what our broken culture needs? I'm Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Joining me now is Mark Kalo Smith, or I want to call him Dean Smith, except uh, there's a baseball reference you're not all that big on, right? Yeah, it's a basketball reference. Oh, basketball, yeah, basketball. Smith, the coach of North Carolina all oh. those years ago. It just makes me think basketball, but that's huh. fine. Huh? All right. Well, but you are a dean right now. So, you know. I am. How good are you at hoops? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good back in the day, for sure. I played in college, so huh? it was good. Oh. good to play basketball. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I'll not do uh, one-on-one with you anytime soon. But <laughs> anyway, you and I both had an opportunity to read an article at uh, World Opinions. It was by, um, oh, my, my, my mental block here. Uh, Andrew Walker. Andrew Walker. There we go. And he's talking, he's trying to encourage people to, as we head into another election cycle and just the general aspects of living our lives and engaging well, that we should we should be strong in our, uh, I guess you can say, social conservative movement. One of the lines he says, there's never been a better time to be a social conservative. The very things that our culture needs, the church, uh, Christian church offers. We offer dignity. We offer teaching of family, fellowship, and community. We offer a sense of common purpose, a, a common objective morality, and a sense of place to root oneself. That's what we offer. And that is what we pose or propose. Okay, as you read the article, the full article, what resonated with you first off? Uh, I mean, I, certainly, there's truth here for sure. I mean, I think I think there's no question that um, scripture, when we take the moral teachings of scripture and we put them into our current world, we certainly would be socially conservative if we just advocate for those values. Uh, if we advocate for traditional marriage, if we advocate for um, you know, against pornography, against the objectification of women, um, we're going to be in a socially conservative, maybe even countercultural place. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. <clears throat> and I, I respect the fact that he's calling us to embrace this and not run away from it because it's very tempting. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think there are real issues here, and not that it isn't his fault, but I think there are real issues. Um, it, it isn't just about us standing up and advocating for these positions. It's about how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a big qualification. He talks about that a little bit. Yeah, he talks about it a little bit, how, about how we can be hypocritical and how that, that could undermine our advocacy here. But um, you know, do we live our lives in a way that could make these issues resonate with the broader public? I think for me, that's a, that's a pretty vital question. So, I mean, if we're going to live, if we're going to value these things and fight from, yeah, exactly – we need to be the ones living it. We need to be living out these kingdom principles. Yeah, and I think we, I mean, take marriage, for example. Um, I, we want to argue for traditional marriage, for the goodness of the male and female union, for the, its durability, for its representation of the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, we want to argue for all those things. But we have to show that we value marriage. We have to show that we're committed to marriage. We have to show that our marriages are reflective of something uh, that the world will want. Mm-hmm. And unless we do that, I'm not sure our arguments, however we place them in a political context or social context, are going to resonate all that much. 
Um, I mean, to me, this I think this gets down to a matter of witness. You know, what does our public witness look like? Um, and what's the most effective way to go about bringing about that kind of witness? What about posture? How we present this? <clears throat> yeah, I think it, I think it's vital. Um, you know, Carl F. H. Henry, the great evangelical theologian, uh, co-founder of Christianity Today, uh, I think one of the most important evangelical thinkers in the 20th century in America. Uh, Henry wrote and thought a great deal about Christians and cultural engagement. And he concluded that we really are going to reach the culture in America on our knees. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of devotion to God. It's a matter of making our churches so full that people want to know what's going on inside of them. Um, you know, he's a firm believer that we we reach our culture culture through gospel transformation, and that's how we bring about this sort of revolution of social conservatism, if you want to think of it in those kinds of terms. Um, so it isn't just about advocating policies. It's about advocating the love of God. It's about advocating for people's need for meaning outside of even these kinds of social issues themselves. And yeah, I think that's, I think you could argue that's the Christian, the conservative Christian movement in America right now is wrestling with this very thing. You know, we all recognize that our culture is fragmented and slipping away from our convictions. What do we do about it? And even Walker's own article seems ambivalent about it. Is it faith driven? Is it policy driven? Mm -hmm. uh, it can be both to some extent. Uh, but I think sometimes we get mired in the policy part of this. I mean, we lose sight of the gospel part of it. And when I think posture, I think gospel. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. We're talking with Mark Caleb Smith. And when we can when we continue again later this week, we're going to be having the first of the Republican primary debates. And that's just part of all the other stuff that's happening. And a lot of people like to talk about the 24 hour news cycle these days. No, no, it's just a news cyclone. There's so much information, so much news and so much opinion and such being thrown at us. So how do we how do we make our way through this? And number one, keep the focus in the right place. And number two, not be overcome. We're going to try and address those issues when we continue here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. The Bible is valuable. And reading and studying the Bible can transform your life. Hi, I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together podcast. Several times a year, we release a new Reading the Bible Together study. We've studied Luke, Daniel, Advent, Lent, and so many more. You can access all of our studies for free by going to the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. In addition to the studies, we also have the accompanying podcast. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. You can study on your own, or if your small group or Bible study is looking for what to study next, check out the Reading the Bible Together resource page at myfaithradio.com. Again, <laughs> I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Oh, I love this jazz music. I, I love having you on, Mark, because I get to listen to music like this a little more often because I like playing it around <laughs> you. You're the big band guy. so I am the big band guy. I'm yeah. always here for you. That as well as the bow tie. You can have the bow tie. I'm not doing the bow tie. <laughs> I don't do ties if I don't have to. So anyway. Well, okay, here we are. We're getting ready. Well, we're 
been in for a while, and it's going to really hit in earnest over the next year plus with the presidential election cycle, and there's a primary debate coming up this week. And again, the, the news media is – it's just – so much going on, or should I say not just the news, but the infotainment world as well. One thing I've appreciated talking with you, uh, as well as Adam Carrington from Hillsdale. Mark, you and Adam, both, you help us understand our cultural moment. You help us to step back, get the bigger perspective, and really to slow down and remember God is in control, which can be hard because it's so easy to get sucked into the news cyclone. Yes, we need to be excellent citizens, both of the kingdom of heaven and our earthly countries. So I got to ask, because, again, you seem so measured. How do you how do you personally handle all this to take it in? And especially when it comes to dealing with the news. Uh, That's a great it's a great question. Um, And for me, it's it's an, an ongoing set of temptations. You know, part of my job is to talk to people like you, uh, to talk to local, regional media outlets, um, to provide analysis when uh, on a variety of things. And so, there's always a temptation to just want to be on top of everything all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to keep your phone in front of you, to have your computer open, and to just always be walking around campus looking at a screen. Um, it's a constant temptation and I've really made some conscious decisions, uh, to get away from that. So, you know, the first thing I did is I disconnected social media from my phone. So I don't have any social media profiles on my phone whatsoever. I can't access Twitter. I can't access Facebook, nothing like that on my phone. Mm. And I think it really helps. I really do. I think that it, it prevents me from just picking up my phone and looking at it uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, because I think there's a real psychological desire, you know, this fear of missing out is a real thing. And you feel this constant need to pick up that phone, look at it and say, what's going on that I can know right this minute? Well, the world's not going to end right this minute. Yeah, I'm going to be fine if I wait to get back to my office and then take a look at what's happening uh, around the world at my desktop as opposed to on my phone. Uh, and I think that's an important first step. Um but I think another thing that I and I understand this is it's it's a hard thing for people to hear sometimes. But I think people really need to consider paying for a media source, um, whether that's a local newspaper, whether that's a national newspaper. Um, find one you're comfortable with, whether it's the Wall Street Journal uh, or the newspaper down the street, whatever it may be. Pay for it and use that as as a primary news source, not your exclusive, but as a primary news source, then you don't have to go fishing over social media for all of your news. You can go to one location and get most of your world events um, in a pretty neat and tidy package, and you don't have to feel overwhelmed for the rest of your day. I was going to ask you about that because, all right, we've talked with uh, several people, including uh, Chris Martin, who's a social media expert, and... He keeps reminding us when it comes to social media, remember, you're getting Facebook, you're getting Twitter for free because yep. you're the product. That's right. And we, we seem to forget that when it comes to, well, say when we uh, are watching a lot of the online news or especially, I mean, even when it comes to like Fox or CNN or any right. of these other right. ones, you're not yeah. paying anything. Well, okay, maybe you're paying your cable fee if you're getting your, your news through them that right. way. But that's yep. kind of a broad package. But the, still – they make their money by selling ads. That's right. You're the product. That's right. The the amount they can hold you is how they're able to sell 
their real product, which is, you know, you. So I, I again, so you, you having that idea of having, again, the local paper and also just having ones you pay for, because hopefully you're, you're choosing one that is going to right. give you right. good news, right? That's right. Choose wisely, pay for it. Um, and then you can feel that you're informed in a pretty easy and straightforward way. Because, I mean, as you said, the news media makes money now uh, by filling content, whether it's social media, whether it's on TV or however you you get to it. Um, and they have to generate attention to fill that content. So they're going to focus on outrageous things. They're going to focus on controversy. They're going to focus on cultural conflict. Um, that's what drives attention. And I think that affects the way that we view the world. And so when we are in that, you know, you called it the news cyclone, and we are in that on a regular basis, and that's how we get all of our information. And then we just feel harried and overwhelmed all the time because of that. Um, and that's good for the news media because it generates attention and it generates devotion. It's not necessarily good for the human psyche. You also brought up another thing about local. Now, I wasn't really going to go here, but you brought it up, so I'm going to go there. Um <laughs> Because oftentimes we get so focused on what's happening nationally. You're right. We don't know what's happening to our neighbors, the ones we are proximate with, the ones – I mean, really, most of the things that affect us on a daily basis happen in our local communities. There's no question. And the the, the media landscape has changed such that um, newspapers are having a harder and harder time providing reporters for those local beats. And so it's harder for them to cover things like school board meetings, city council meetings, um, and things of that nature, because there's just not enough revenue going into those local news sources for them to do a good job covering it. And like you said, that's where really the rubber hits the road for most of us politically, socially, and culturally. But we're dragged to this national approach to news gathering now because it's cheaper and more efficient for news agencies to do it that way. That doesn't mean that we're more informed as a result. Mm. Good point. I'm going to ask you one quick question, if you can yeah. answer this in like 60 seconds. But And I asked this of Adam Carrington yesterday. Um, what is, as we're getting ready for this debate and then onward, what is your hope and prayer for this election cycle, yours personally? My hope and prayer is that people uh, begin to think of their political behavior in light of what's good for the country and what's good for the long-term vision uh, of our nation. I think we're, we make a lot of political decisions based on what feels good at the moment and based on what motivates us personally, uh, without taking that really long, thoughtful view. And so take a big picture perspective, think long-term and vote accordingly. Um, you know, right now we have all the chances to make the choices. All the candidates are laying out there in front of us and we're not restricted whatsoever. Investigate them and think big picture, think long-term. Hmm. Good thoughts. Uh, Mark, thanks again for joining us. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University and a regular here on Mornings with Carmen. You have a great day. Thanks, you too, Paul. We'll All see right. you. This is Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul filling in this week. Carmen will be back on Monday. A quick update um, about Jimmy Carter former president of the United States and his wife. Uh, his grandson, Josh, gave a bit of an update over the weekend about, well, the former uh, president and first lady telling People magazine, you know, uh, they're probably, we're clearly in the final chapter, Josh says, but in the midst of this, he says, I think it's a beautiful thing that they are still together talking about uh, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. 
that the first couple who have been married 77 years still hold hands, remain aware of what's going on around them. Carter, 99 years old, the longest living president in our history. So keep in prayer. I know a lot of people may not think well of his presidency, but it's hard to look down on Jimmy as far as what he did for, you know, humanitarian things for many years, uh, charity work, leading a Bible study at his church up until just a few years ago. An amazing life in that regard. And uh, so our prayers with Jimmy and his wife, Rosalind, who, by the way, is suffering from dementia, but still at a point where, like I said, I love it that they're still holding hands and are just aware of each other and loving each other, even as they wait to go home to see their Savior. If you have a friend or a family member who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord, where do you point them to in the Bible to start reading so they can grow in their knowledge of the gospel? That's a question I want you to answer. Maybe you're one of those who said, ah, well, I send them to, like, the Book of Romans, or I send them, you know, where do you if somebody comes to the Lord, or maybe when you were pointed to the Lord, understood and received the gospel, where did people point you to in the Bible first? Tell me on the text line, 877-933-2484. Next up, we're going to talk with evangelist David Dukasin about where he points new believers to. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, so a person receives the gospel, becomes a follower of Jesus. First off, the angels are celebrating, and hopefully we are too. We better be. But that brings us to many questions like, okay, for that person who has received Jesus, what do I do next? Uh, What does this mean for me? What's my next step? Into that conversation, I want to bring Dr. David Dukasin. He is, uh, oh, you can find him at daviddukasin.com. Among other things, he's an evangelist. He um, he's over the past twenty years investing in community and in, in, into communities as a pastor, a church planter, a speaker, a professor, an advocate. He's established things like the Neighborliness Center, which uh, works uh, which works to create strategic plans for churches, businesses, and organizations to cross dividing lines to see the kingdom of God established in cities around the world. That's a mouthful. We're gonna have to dig into that. So, David, thank you for joining us here on Faith Radio. Thanks so much. And I want to congratulate you on saying my name properly, which is a a little bit of a mouthful itself. So good job. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, (laughs) I watched a few videos that you were a guest on some podcasts. And so, you know, I did my research, I guess. Did your research. I did my research and then spelt it out phonetically on my notes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <Good job. laughs> all right. Well, anyway, David, let's start where I just was talking about this, the, the neighborliness center. And I, I and, and like I said, I saw a few podcasts of you and, and it's like, wow, this, you have such this holistic approach to evangelism. Yes, it's evangelistic, but you're responding to the needs of the whole person and the whole community around them. Why do you yeah, do, the, why do, you do yeah, this approach? First, the, the first book that I wrote was actually just a uh, an expression of um, seeing what was going on in the world around us. You know, I'd been in ministry for 20 years, uh, planting churches and pastoring. And one of the biggest things that I realized was that um, that crossing the dividing lines of, of faith and economics and, uh, you know, politics and, you know, those types of things that the church didn't quite have the lexicon to 
to really talk with each other and then find a way to point to Christ in the midst of that. And so uh, the context of our second church plant was right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And over the course of about 10 or 11 years, we were able to see the beauty of God just really, really impact folks' lives. But what I realized was that people could give their heart to Jesus, but not still not have the, the ability um, to know how to engage across dividing lines. And um, so I did my doctoral work studying uh, generational poverty and systemic inequality and like those types of things. But I did that with um, a theological motivation saying, what is God's heart for us crossing dividing lines of faith? and economics, um, you know, like different things in our community, race, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and what I found is that there's this holistic gospel that, that maybe instinctively we might be able to think about it. Um, but when I started to really piece together how to help families break cycles of poverty, we found these four areas that we've built a framework now for churches and for um, community organizations to follow where we teach folks how to engage in four really practical areas. That's um, education, employment, healthcare, and housing. And these are just very, very basic things. But when you piece those things together, you're able to really show families how they can uh, really change the trajectory of their lives. And, and I think that, you know, Matthew 25 you know, I call it the, the physical gospel mm-hmm. where, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And it goes to this whole list of very practical things. And I think that there is n- no better way to share our faith across dividing lines um, than to connect with somebody in a very holistic way. And a lot of people who are who are, you know, used to say like, okay, the crusade evangelism or street evangelism or stuff like that, their heads are probably going, wait, 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 where's the gospel being preached here? Right. Well, I mean, I think that we have to look at the life of Jesus, right? Like, um, we oftentimes we, uh, we think that, that, you know, proclaiming the gospel is the only way that we share our faith, but oftentimes it's actually in the demonstration of the gospel message. It's the effervescence of, um, being able, to show Jesus to other people. And so what I always say is that, uh, so my first book, Neighborliness, um, which people can go to neighborliness.com and check out some of our work, um, is, is all about embodying the presence of Jesus to the world around us. I tie it directly back to the greatest commandment where it's, yes, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind and strength, but embedded in the greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. Like we can't fulfill the greatest commandment without this holistic love and care for the world around us. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Bob Goff. And he says, how is uh, your faith working for everyone around you? <laughs> and that's a, that's a challenging question, right? It is a very challenging question. Okay. So let's kind of talk where the rubber meets road again we're talking with david dukason you can find him at daviddukason.com he has a new book out by the way which we'll talk about shortly tomorrow and the days to come a guide to your first steps of faith but before we get to that so you're doing this evangelism this holistic evangelism model are people really hungry for the gospel what are you seeing what what has been the response oh absolutely yeah we have uh 
you know, our organization, the Neighborliness Center, works with churches to create holistic strategies to engage their community. And so, again, you know, like you said, it might be a mouthful, but the idea is we're working with churches all over the country and in different parts of the world now to help them see how they can engage their community and be able to not just share the gospel message by the declaration of it, but by the demonstration of it. And um, and so when we are seeing the church start to embody the presence of Jesus, we see the church starting to get engaged in things like conversations about the biggest ailments of our society, um, affordable housing, um, lack of access to health care, um, you know, education inequality in our communities. All of a sudden, we start to see that the body of Christ has everything that we need to make a difference in our communities. And we are seeing people all over the place. I actually have meetings today with a group from Buffalo, New York, that's here exploring different ways that they can engage their community. And, you know, my, my team and I are working with them on creating a strategy to get churches to work together to engage their communities. So yes, we're, we are seeing that the message of neighborliness and the, the message that God has put on our heart on how to engage community and share our faith um, has resonated deeply with folks who have maybe been curious about how to engage community, but have been a little bit like uncomfortable. Um, I think that what we've been able to do is create some really practical frameworks and some language to help point people toward um, true community engagement um, that demonstrates the love of Christ in really practical ways. And again, if people want to hear about that, they can go to neighborliness.com. I would imagine, uh, David, that as a church takes on this challenge that you're teaching them, it's very customized to their neighborhood because the needs of, say, I don't know, Chicago or at least one of the uh, inner parts of Chicago is going to be different from what it is in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. Uh, one of the things that we do is we've created a tool that that is able to explore the different gifts and talents that God has placed within the hearts of people within each congregation. And so my organization comes in and we say, okay, what is God already doing in this church? And then we're able to pair that with, well, what's going on in our community? You know, what's going on in each community? And so um, we're able to take an assessment of the gifts that God has given the church. We pair that with other churches in the area. And then we're able to, to combine that with, well, what are some of the greatest things that are already going on in the community? How can people get involved in their community? But then also we start to see some gaps. And so maybe that's where the body of Christ starts to rise up and say, okay, we, we really don't have much of a strategy towards education. Or, you know, one of the things that we have been able to see is the miracles of Jesus is in our work in Charlotte, we've been able to see close to a thousand units of mixed income multifamily housing built, not because I know how to build anything at all, <laughs> but because the body of Christ has started to rise up and we've got builders and developers who have said, okay, wait, there's some big needs in our community. And so we're going to go ahead and address those needs. And I'm just telling you, when you start to address the real needs, the felt needs, the, the physical needs of your community, the um, what I say is that God is healing our churches of cultural laryngitis that mm. I think that we've lost our voice in community because we've, we've lost the ability to connect the gospel and not, now not, not everybody, but connecting the gospel message to the very practical needs of our community. Um, I think that what the message of neighborliness and what God has done 
is pointing people to his beauty through his care for them and his love for them. Mm, amazing. All right, we're talking with David Dukasen. Uh, you can find him again at daviddukasen.com. He's the author of a new book uh, that is entitled Tomorrow and the Days to Come, A Guide for Your First Steps of Faith. Now, I asked the question earlier, and you can still respond on the text line, 877-933-2484. When it comes to where you point somebody in the Bible, or maybe where were you pointed to in the Bible after you first gave your heart to Jesus? What book were you told, or what section of Scripture were you told to read? Let me know again on the text line, 877-933-24. We'll continue with David in just a moment. This is Faith Radio. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. So when you first received Jesus, what did the people who led you to the Lord say? Hey, go read this now in the Bible. What did they tell you? 877-933-2484. Andrew and Deb both saying, yeah, the Gospel of John. Yeah, why not? Because after all, these things were written that we may believe. I was told Romans. And because that, uh, that's a good theological dissertation about what the faith is, essentially. And, well, both are good. But David, and we're talking with David Dukasen. He's the author of a book, uh, again, entitled Tomorrow and the Days to Come. And first off, this book, David, is to be that help to people who have just received Jesus as Savior. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you take people in the Bible? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I think that, the, the instinct of a new new believer and actually the website for the book is newbeliverbook.com very okay. simple so oh. like you know it comes out today all over the world newbeliverbook.com um, people can go to my website as well obviously we're going to have be able to point people everywhere but what I what I started to realize is when people were giving their heart to Christ in our community they they were needing really really practical handles to hold on to and one of the most practical places that you can go is the greatest sermon ever delivered. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, embedded in the Sermon on the Mount is these 16 verses that are just so counterintuitive. We sometimes refer to it as the, the backwards kingdom of God or the upside down kingdom of God. And it talks about like right off the jump, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of times the message that 
many people receive is that if you give your heart to Christ, that things are just going to work out that, you know, it's just going to, you know, you know, I think people mistakenly believe that giving our heart to Christ is some sort of magic pill that's going to make everything better. But what, what Jesus is saying is actually we need to empty ourselves every day. We need to, to empty ourselves of the pain of the day. We need to empty ourselves. And that's what pouring spirit means. Well, that's just one of the nuggets that is all through the first uh, 16 verses of Matthew chapter five. That's really counterintuitive. And so I just found that Matthew five, one through 16, uh, they refer to it as the Beatitudes was the perfect spot to start somebody on their journey of faith. And so we've got a couple of weeks of devotions that talk through really practically um, the teaching of Jesus that points us to the counterintuitive backwards thinking, upside down thinking of the kingdom of God that not only can transform our lives, but transform the lives of those around us. Okay. I kind of take exception to you calling the kingdom upside down because the world is already upside down. We're just trying to make it right. That's exactly right. Okay. Dig into that a bit more though. I mean, because Again, Jesus uses the word blessed, or some translations have it mm-hmm. happy is, you know, the poor in mm-hmm. spirit. Happy mm-hmm. are those who mourn. I mean, this, this has got to be for a new believer kind of mind-blowing, but essentially a good blowing of their mind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the that's actually my favorite translation. Uh, the, the front part of the book talks about that if you do these things that Jesus is teaching, it leads to perfect happiness, And I think that happiness, a lot of times people can think about, you know, that being an emotion. Well, I think that Jesus is teaching us how to live in this state of contentment where no matter what's going on in the world around us, that we can find our joy and our happiness, not in the circumstances, which is why it's so important. Like if you, if you were to do verse four, happy are those who mourn. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? Until you start thinking about how important it is for us to be able to truly acknowledge the pain in our lives and how, when we invite God into that pain, it doesn't mean that the pain just goes away, but there's a comfort and there's a contentment of knowing that God is with us. And so for me, you know, as we talk about perfect happiness, it can't be rooted in our bank account. You know, it can't be rooted in the things that are going on in the world around us, or it can't be rooted in our favorite political candidate or our favorite, you know, preference in this world. It has to be rooted in something much, much more than we can see. And I believe that our perfect happiness is found in Jesus. And in this kingdom, definitely. Yes, now, absolutely. You, you take two weeks to go through all the Beatitudes, but I, you know, like Carmen, the end of the book, the appendices are so important, and I love how you point people forward to something deeper. Kind of like the, I was talking about C.S. Lewis earlier in Chronicles of Narnia. Well, in the last battle, there's that call to come further up, come further yes. in. The further yes. up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside, as Lewis wrote. I love that. You, you go through, you do this throughout the book, but then at the end, you have all these appendices. You point them to further resources yeah. from a variety of... I love this. You have a variety of voices out there. Yes. Uh, it, yeah, it's, that's it's, very important. Talk about that. Why is it so important? Yeah, well, because, you know, when you when you get a, a, a little devotional, right, um, a lot of times that can just become a season of life. Um, with Tomorrow and the Days to Come, which people can go to newbeliefbook.com to, to check it out. There's free shipping this week as we're you know launching it um, and bulk orders for churches and you know different things like that. We wanted to make this very, very accessible for churches to give to their congregations. And so we've priced it appropriately for that. But, um, but the idea has been 
I don't want this to, just to be a, a three week journey. You know, we've got two weeks of, of devotionals that, that I wrote that, that helped to point people to an understanding of the Beatitudes. But then on the third week, we actually point them to the book of James, one of the most practical books in the Bible. It's five chapters. Mm-hmm. And so we actually teach folks in the appendices, hey, this is how you can engage the Word of God. And so we have like a framework that we've built, which is right. we're going to rest for a moment. We're going to allow our mind to rest. And then we're going to read and take in the Word of God. And then we're going to reflect. And we've got places for people to write stuff down. And then we're going to respond. And at the end of every day of the devotion, we've already taught them some structured prayers, like a uh, kind of like a new version, um, like a modern day language version of the Lord's Prayer that we have everybody pray at the end of every devotion. And then there's a prayer in there over family and friends that that I pray over my family and friends every day. And what I always tell people is if you can learn the rhythm of how to read the Bible and how to pray then you can start to freestyle and you can do it in your own way. But what we've tried to do is give people some practical handles on how to do that. Now, the recommended resources, I, I didn't count them up, but there's over 50 probably. Yeah, 50 I didn't count them either, but there are a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a ton of recommended resources. Um, and the reason that I wanted to do that was our journey of faith is only at the beginning when we're taking our first steps of faith. And I actually believe that this book can really reignite somebody's passion for Jesus who may have just kind of gotten into a rut, Mm -hmm. you know, like with, with Bible reading, or maybe they've stopped reading the Bible. I think this book is perfect for somebody to do that. Um, I think that it's a way for us to reimagine what time with Jesus can do for us. And so we've loaded people with like, my joke is that I think that we've given people enough resources to do their devotions and to engage uh, different authors from various different backgrounds that I'd be very impressed if anybody ever finished that list in their entire life, you know? And so um, to me, having a variety of voices um, from different um, backgrounds, different races, different genders, very important to give us perspective on the kingdom of God. And so what we've hoped is that we've created a tool that people can go to newbeliverbook.com. They can order their book for themselves. We've got deals for their family and friends or for their church and that they can walk alongside new believers or just somebody who wants to maybe find a new way to engage the word of God, teach them how to pray, teach them how to read the word. Um, We've got a section in there on how to navigate hard questions about faith because, you know, hello, I'm navigating hard questions about faith. I think (laughs) you are are too. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, you know, hopefully this becomes a really practical tool for uh, for churches and for organizations and for individuals. Excellent. Again, newbeliverbook.com or go to daviddukason.com, especially if you want to get to uh, talk to Dave about the idea of maybe getting your church in this holistic mindset to reach your community. It's so helpful. David, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. Thanks so much. There's more ahead here on Mornings with Carmen. Say goodbye to Mario, or, well, Charles Martinet. He's the voice actor who's been doing the voice for Mario for 32 years. He's stepping aside as the voice of the diminutive plumber in the, in the uh, you know, the video game series. World record doing that for 32 years. Same character. I wish I could do that. I like doing voices. I like doing voices. Well, you'll be hearing my voice for another hour coming up. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.